Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. For your consideration for a few moments tonight, if you would turn with me to the book of Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. I'm going to read beginning with verse number 46. And while you're getting that, let me say a great big welcome to our guests tonight and to our church family. Thank you for coming. I know that living in a metro area is difficult. I think sometimes we have let that become an excuse for not coming. But really, the truth is, some of the best services we've had have been on Wednesday night. I believe that. I believe God uh, has a special blessing. I've told you before, Sunday morning may show the popularity of the church. Sunday night, the popularity of the preacher, but Wednesday night, the popularity of God. <laughs> Amen. That may not be altogether true. I know there's extenuating circumstances, but thank you for being here. I just wish that I had arms big enough I could just hug all of you right now. Amen. But I'll try to do that after church. Luke chapter 6, verse 46. And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Very important and very probing question. He makes a delineation that all things are not equal, that everything is not as it seems. And he's about to draw a line. He's about to take the scaffold and cut. And when he does, he's going to expose something. But he said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say. So it's possible that people could say the right thing but not really do the right thing. Verse 47. He said, Whosoever cometh to me and heareth my sayings and doeth them, I will liken or I will show you to whom he is like. He is like a man which built a house and digged deep and laid the foundation on a rock. And when the, when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently upon that house and could not shake it, for it was founded on a rock. And he that heareth and doeth not is like a man that without a foundation built a house upon the earth against which the stream did beat vehemently and immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. Amen. I know you're familiar with this. I have preached from this setting in Matthew and perhaps even from here in Luke, but I like Luke's rendition. He is like a man which built a house and digged deep and laid the foundation upon a rock. <clears throat> I don't have a title, but I do want to talk to you about building on a rock. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. I found out something today that I didn't know, and if you already know it, and God bless you, you're a smart person. Maybe. <laughs> New York City 
all of its magnificent buildings. If you've ever been there, it is a, a, an awe-inspiring sight, even though there is a spirit about that city. There's something about the grandness. It is so large. And a great portion of it is built on an island, Manhattan Island, where the Twin Towers are and or were, and many of the other large skyscrapers. And if you look at that setting, you wonder how in the world do buildings that go that high in the air, how do they keep from slipping off in, into the ocean? Because, I mean, think about Galveston Island. What if all those buildings were relocated to Galveston? You and I both know that they probably would not uh, stand simply because of foundational issues. They say, and I didn't know this until and this is what I learned today, is that the reason that New York, and at, for many, many years, it thought that they thought that New York City could not even be shaken by an earthquake because the bulk of that is built on what is known in uh, in the uh, building arena as bedrock, bedrock. That's, that's as solid as you can get. Now, my brother's a builder. He knows more about bedrock. But they say the reason that those buildings can go so high is because underneath is what is called bedrock. It is the foundation stone to build on. And so... You, you can build these massive structures because somebody got down to bedrock. I was talking to Brother Gerald Morris today and he lived there for 10 years and he said, I, I used to be amazed when I would walk by where they were constructing and I would see where they would dig down deep into the earth and they would go down many, many stories until, and he said they would blast rocks away and they would blast and dig dirt out until they got down to what they knew was bedrock. And then they knew, all right, we can go up with a hundred story building from here. Amen. <clears throat> and so that, that has been on my mind with a lot of other things. And you're, you're gonna have to forgive me um, because I, over the last few days with Brother Kilgore's passing, I, I, I have been reflecting, and my wife as well, the impact that that man had upon our life and the effect uh, that he had and how he helped shape our life through so many different channels. One of the things that, I hold dear to my heart about Brother Kilgore is that he was a believer in men or young men or young ladies. He, he had a confidence in people and, and it, it came through when he talked with you. I don't know how many of you uh, are aware of how readily Brother Kilgore could remember your name even though he might not have seen you for years. He, he never forgot a name and he made that connection. And there's something about that. You, you just can't turn that off. You don't bury that. You don't put that in a coffin. Because you understand that it is that faith in you that helped you become what you are. And then there is that aspect of him that he was a builder of men. 
He, he was a man who challenged me and many others to not be content with just building anything, but build the very best that you can. And there's one thing that I, I dearly appreciate about him, and, and I, I didn't fully appreciate it at the time, but I was thankful that he challenged me in the areas of my life where I had been using inferior materials. And if I continued building in that way, the outcome of what was going to be the result of that building, there's going to be a day when I'm not going to like that. And Brother Kilgore had enough spiritual perception and foresight to see down the road and so he challenged us and when we tried to slack off or slip by he had the most unique way of reaching out and getting hold of you and pulling you into a prayer room or into his office for one of those one-on-one -on -one come to Jesus meetings and when you walked out of there you may have been staggering and you may have felt like you'd got the whipping of your life but you walked out knowing that man is interested in my eternal salvation and he really is trying to help me be a better person than if I just leave it to myself and I am thankful that he would not allow me to build haphazardly. How many times did he call me to prayer? How many times did he challenge me to get into the word of God and don't be satisfied? He said, don't use books as an excuse for studying the word. Study the word and let the books enable you to see better things, but don't let the book ever be surpassed by anything else in your life. Amen. He would speak into my life. And there were times my wife and I reflected on this and I, I know that she feels the depth of, of our loss very, very keenly. And I, I don't want to get too personal tonight, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share some things with you that might shock some of you. And I will tell you right up front that if I pastored that way right now, some of you would not be sitting here Sunday morning. Because you couldn't take it. I remember when we were first married, Brother Kilgore called us in, and uh, <clears throat> he began to address a situation in in our life, and uh, wasn't anything sinful. It was just something that what he saw was not adding to our life. And I'll never forget when we left, we were, we were pretty shaken by the conversation and it hurt because it was very personal. We went home and we wrestled with that for a while and then we decided we have a choice. We can either be obedient and do what he's asking us to do or we can do our own thing and let the outcome be the outcome. I'm thankful that we were willing to be obedient. Because if I'm anything tonight, it's because of that one thing. I remember one time Sister Kill, they had the old apartments behind Life Tabernacle. They were rat holes, but they were, they were apartments. And at that time, Cecilia and I were 
we were traveling and living in other people's homes. And when we come to Houston, our, our, my father-in-law, they opened their home. They made it a home for us. But Sister Kilwar approached us one time. I think maybe my wife, that there was one of those apartments back there that we could have. That we, so that when we came into town, we'd have a place to go to and have our own privacy. And so my wife and I, we got over there. We scrubbed walls. We painted. We cleaned up. We carried trash out. We found little old scrappy pieces of, uh, of, of furniture and stoves. And I mean, we were just elated that we were going to have a place. And we were getting ready to move everything into that apartment when behold... I got a phone call from Brother Kilgore. Brother Mark, yes, sir. I understand that you are thinking about getting one of these apartments back here. And I very enthusiastically said, yes, sir. But Sister Kilgore had, he said, well, I, I, I think he said, I really, it doesn't matter what Sister Kilgore said. I'm telling you, that that's not the will of God for your life right now. And that you need to get that out of your mind. And you and Cecilia need to keep evangelizing and traveling. And forget about settling down. And by the way, I've already given that apartment to somebody else. Well, it was hard for me to get off the phone and tell my wife what I was about to have to tell her. And I'm not going to tell you we didn't hurt, that we weren't upset. I'm not even going to tell you that I wasn't mad. But when all the dust settled, I looked at her and she looked at me and we said, you know what, whether we like it or not, he is our pastor. And if that's what he thinks is best for our life, then that's what we're going to do. And you know what, he was right. If I had settled down there and we had taken that apartment, I would have never become pastor of this church. Because I would have faded into the background like hundreds of others that had come through that church. I'm thankful that I had a pastor in my life that could speak things at times that were very painful. But I am thankful whether he was right or wrong. I don't think salvation or my future really depended on that apartment or not. I think it depended on my willingness to be obedient to the word of God that was being spoken into my life through the man of God. Praise God. Now that's all free. You don't even have to pay for that. I won't even collect an offering tonight. But I want to ask you tonight, do you really want a preacher in your life or would you rather have a pastor in your life? Our text is pretty simple. There's, there's not a, a lot of subterfuge or deception. There's not a lot of shadows about it. It's pretty straightforward. It's, it's such a simple, straightforward story that many times we read through it so quickly that we don't even get what he is trying to say to us. But it's when you slow down and you go back and you start listening and looking and understanding what he is saying and what he is indicating that the truth begins to come out of that and it's life changing. And he, he likens life to the building of a house. And that is very instructive. 
And it's not only instructive, but it, it, to me, it, it's inspiring that, that God did not predestine my life to be a certain thing or a certain way. That irregardless of how generations may have looked at life, and there are many areas of the world that still have the caste system, which means that there are certain levels of life that you are born into and you never escape that. If you're born as a servant or into the family of a servant, then you are always going to be a servant. If you're born into the palace, then you'll always be in the palace, no matter how you live or what you do. But in America, the land of the free and the home of the brave, we do have the opportunity to choose many things in our life. But beyond that freedom, there is a spiritual freedom that God puts within every one of us that is inspiring, and that is that we get to play a part in the building of our life. Now, that may not encourage you, but it encourages me because that tells me that God had enough confidence in humanity that he would give me that privilege or he would give me that opportunity, that he didn't look at me as being demented or restricted or lacking certain skills, but he said, when he said to me that you're like a builder, he was saying, you have potential in you to become awesome. You, you have potential in your life to do great things. And so when you look at the fact that he compares us to being builders, then it actually is inspiring. And he was teaching not only uh, that, that, that you've got to build, but what you build and how you build. And when you look at the story, it's very simple. It's black and white. It, it's night and day. It, it's it, it's Failure or success. It's stand or fall. There, there's, there's no in-between. There's no halfway. You do this and you stand. You do this and you fall. You do this and you succeed. You do this and you fail. You do this and you're going to love the outcome. You do this and there's going to be a day in your life when you're going to regret ever doing the things that led you in that direction. Very simple. Two Two outcomes, one that endures, one that stands, one that withstands, and one that fails and folds and is destroyed. And the difference between what can be shaken and what cannot be shaken. When I read this story, especially over the last few months, and I've gone back to it several times, I, there, there's something in me that says, God, I, I, I'm not... I don't know all the answers, and I don't know, I'm not as wise, I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer, I, I'm not the sharpest pencil in the carrier, but this one thing I want you to help me understand, and that is that I get to choose, and, and, and I have to play a part in whether my life succeeds or my life fails, and I personally do not want to live a life 
that is continually shaken by every wind and every little thing that comes by. I want my life to be on bedrock. I want it to be built on foundational principles. I want it to be built on foundational issues that no matter what happens, no matter the forces that come against it, no matter the storms, no matter the wind, no matter the adversity, no matter the pressure, it will not fold, it will not crumble, that I will not look back at my life and say, oh, I wish that I had done differently. Amen. I, I want a life that cannot be shaken. Because the Bible says something of this hour as being a time when everything that can be shaken will be shaken. And I want a life that cannot be shaken. Amen. I want a life that cannot be moved. And the difference of the two outcomes is very simple. It, it, it's so simple that some of you are going to miss it tonight. Certainly one of the clear directives of the story is on the foundation of the two builders. <clears throat> the foundation matters, folks, whether you understand that or I. Foundation does matter. And foundation isn't something that gets applauded. People don't come into this building and say, Oh, Brother Hughes, you have such a wonderful foundation here. They come in and they see the wall sconce and they see the colors and they see the fabric and they see the decor and all the decoration and our eyes, we're consumed with that. But the fact is, none of this would matter if somebody had not taken the time to put a foundation down that could withstand and hold up under the pressures that would come from this building being put here. And so you cannot build anything without a proper foundation. And that's a very powerful message in itself. It may not be visible, but it does affect all that you do afterwards. Amen. The foundation. Everybody say the foundation. Say it matters. It matters. It matters. And I want to tell you, many, if not most, of the issues that our world and we as individuals are struggling with in this hour are really foundational issues. Because when there's a right foundation, the pressures won't change you. The problems don't change you. The currents that switch and swirl and the winds that change, they don't affect you because the foundation is there. And so most of, if not all of, the issues that we struggle with in this hour are foundational. Whether it's a church or whether it's an individual or whether it's a marriage or whether it's a job or whether it's the economy, the problem with our economy is not whether we have a Republican or a Democrat in the White House or whether we have a Congress that's one way or the other. The problem with our economy right now are foundational issues that nobody wants to address because they're too worried about being elected. And so you, there's, there's no surprise that our, 
our world, our, our standing in the world as a nation. I'm not here to preach political. I'm just here to tell you that we're dealing with foundational issues. And when those foundational issues are not addressed, the rest is superfluous. It, it doesn't matter. And so Jesus gives a powerful lesson on life, and it's very vivid. It's a picture that tells a tale to all of our lives. And this is what I wrote down this afternoon. It is a predictor of life. I can tell you right now the outcome if you make certain choices and you do certain things. I can tell you the outcome right now. I don't have, I'm not a genius, but I can tell you how things are going to turn out. And so there's, there's three things that I want to talk to you about life. Number one, is that the story that he gives to us, this picture of these two builders, he taught us that life, first of all, is creative. And by that, I mean it is original. It's, your life is unique. It's inspiring. It's powerful. You get to choose how your life will be for you. And I get to choose how my life will be for me. Your life is not already cast. It is not predestined. It is not predetermined. I don't care if your parents were, were, were bank robbers and whoremongers and everything else wrong that you could imagine. That doesn't mean that you are born into a life and that's all that you will ever be. You have the ability to create a life that's either going to be good or it's going to be bad. If you listen to what he said, if you listen to what he spoke, you get to have a say in it. Isn't that good? You get to have a say in life? How many of you like to just be told what to do all the time and have no choice in it? Nobody likes to be told what to do. As a matter of fact, that's why most of our world's in such turmoil right now because ain't nobody going to tell me what to do. Ain't nobody got time for that. Yeah. But you get to have a say in it. That's great. Aren't you thankful that you didn't get up this morning? I love you, honey. Somebody wind me up. I'm going to work today. I'm thankful God didn't make us like that. He didn't make us robots. I can't say he didn't, well, he didn't make us morons either. <clears throat> or some people call them jerks. I get to have a say in my life. You know what that does? That takes the blame game out of it. Oh, 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 brother, you, you don't have to talk about that. Well, I do have to talk about it. Because what Jesus taught here is that blame doesn't really play a factor in the success or failure of your life. Because you have the creative power, you, you're a, an original. You don't have to be a duplicate. You don't have to be like somebody else. You get to be your own person. 
That's pretty empowering. That's, that's pretty awesome that I get to have a say in my life. That when he saved me, he didn't save me to knock me in the head and make me some lunatic that just went around reciting the same things. He didn't do that. He filled me with his spirit. He blessed me with good word. He gave me his word so that I could take that word and then translate it into my life. And I can do with it whatever I choose to do. So I have the ability to shape my future. We have the creative capacity to make life what we want it to be. He allows you to choose how you build. You know, that's great. Because some of you like, you like big rooms and high ceilings. And some of you like small rooms and small ceilings. And some of you like a house that's got a great big porch on it with swings. And some of you can't stand that country look. You want something that's more sophisticated. So God didn't come in and say, okay, Brother, Brother Miller, you got to build just like this one. And, and you got, he, he said, you get to choose how your building's going to look. Now, some of you don't think that's true, but read the story. I'm going to get to the, the punchline here in a minute. What makes the difference between the fact, but the fact is the story that Jesus is telling them tells me that we have the creative capacity to choose what life is going to be like for us. And he allows you to choose how you build. There are those who think that life is too restrictive. I don't know where they get that from because you can't get any more freedom than to pick and choose what you want to build and how you want to build? Some of you still don't believe this. Here's what I've discovered. And, and I'm going to get on this. I'm, I'm getting ready. I think if the Lord helps me, I'm, I'm getting ready to do a series on the Ten Commandments. But I found out something about the Ten Commandments this week that has just astonished me. That, that the Ten Commandments are only referred to one time in Scripture as commandments. And from that time forth in the Hebrew, they were referred to as the ten words. And those ten commandments were not commandments. They were a marriage vow and a marriage commitment. They are written in the Hebrew. God writing to his people a marriage covenant and said, this is what I want to be to you if you'll let me be your God and you'll be my people. Man, that changes everything. Because now it's not a rule it's a relationship. Now it's not a regulation. It is a way to bring me into fellowship with somebody that loves me better than anybody else and will do better to me than anybody else will do and will provide for me like no one else and will make sure that I get to the right place if I make him my God. If I agree to this covenant. But see we've come to a time where 
Everything you hear now from people is, oh, that's just legalism. How many of you feel like your marriage is legalism? It is technically. That was a covenant you, I, I signed, if I married any of you, I signed a document from the state of Texas. It's a legal binding document and you can't just go and ignore that. If you get tired of being married, you got to go to the state again and say, I want to rescind that. It's a legal document, but I don't live with my wife because of a legal document. And the problem is so many people have made church legalism and they've made church rules and regulation and they've forgotten that church is not a rule and church is not a regulation. It's about a relationship that God wants to have with me individually. And if I will listen to what he said in his word and I will do what he said in his word, then there's going to be a covenant and there's going to be a relationship that's going to take me places I cannot get to by myself. Amen. And so we have people that are throwing away what they call rules. Listen to me. As long as you are driven by rules mentality, you will miss the blessings of what relationship can bring you. So life, everybody say, is creative. Some of you are afraid to say that word. Come on, creative. It's not that hard. Creative. I get to have a choice. But the second thing that this story tells me is that as equally important as the creativity aspect of my life is the selection of my life. He teaches us that life has to get beyond just creative. I can do what I want to do. I can be what I want to be. I can live how I want to live. It has to go to that next step or it will fail. And that next step is you have to be selective in your process. That you can't just do anything you want to do and expect a good outcome. Although you have the choice as to how you build and what you build, you have to be selective in what you use to build and what you build on. You can't build a life that endures on just anything. You cannot build a life on choices that are made only for the moment without eternity in mind. You see... The choices that we make determine the destiny that we reach. And what are our decisions and choices saying tonight about our future? Everybody say the foundation. The material that you use to build is based on what you believe. All right? And Jesus said, don't call me Lord if you're not willing to go a step further because I'm not interested in what you say, I'm interested in what you're going to do because what you're saying 
isn't going to save you, but what you do will make a difference in your eternity. And, and, and so the winds come and the rain and the elements and the forces, and you cannot just throw up anything and expect life to succeed. You have to be selective. Everybody say selective. You, you have to understand that it may be good, but it's not the best for me. It may be all right, but it's not going to get me where I want to go. It may be, it, it may not be a sin. You, you see, what I have learned and deduced about life is that many of the things that I have to choose in life are not about sin or, 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 or righteousness. It's not about right or wrong in that respect. It's not about whether in the eyes of God I'm breaking one of his laws. It is a matter of when I do that, where is that going to lead me? And what is that going to produce down the road? And so I have to be selective. Everybody say selective. You, you can't just go, you can't build just anywhere. I mean, you, you can't just go find a nice spot and say, oh, this looks good as any. I mean, I, I got a nice view, no obstructions, right here beside the creek. Man, who wouldn't want to have a house there? But wisdom, if he had been listening, would have told him what you see right now is not the way it's always going to be. And so you have, to, you have to build with a longer view in mind. You have to build for more than just what you feel right now. The reason that people cheat in their marriage is because they don't look far enough down the road to see what that cheating will do to their family or do to them as a person. And all they're consumed with is this moment right now. Amen. The reason that people in life stumble and fall and life falls apart is because they only live for the moment. They only live for right now. I feel good, real good. But they don't look long enough down the road to see what that's going to produce. And it will produce. And so you have to be selective. The two builders that were there had to choose. And they did. And so Jesus takes us to the next step that life is not only selective, but it is decisive. Consciously or unconsciously, I make decisions every day that affect not only now, but my future. And here's what the Lord began to talk to me. He said the two builders had equal opportunity. Everybody say equal opportunity. That's a major deal in our world right now, especially in the United States. Equal opportunity employer. You know what that means? That means everybody has a fair shake. That means everybody has a fair deal. That means everybody has an opportunity. That means we don't discriminate. We don't shut you out because of your race or your background or your money or your whatever. We are a non-discriminating business and we throw the door open to everybody. And so the, th this story tells me that there is equal opportunity for these two men. And you said, Brother Hughes, how can you say that? 
How can you say that he's talking about equal opportunity? I want to tell you how. Because they both had the ability to hear. And this is the whole punchline of the story. It was what they heard that affected what they did. Everybody hear that? It was what they heard. You say, well, Brother Hughes, it couldn't be because one of them built on the sin. I'm telling you, it was about what they heard. You know what I've learned about preaching? People hear what they want to hear. <laughs> they got a shovel out most of the times, and oh man, that's really good. That sister back there needs that. <laughs> man, come on, push it a little further. That. The point is, because they both could hear, they both heard the same words. Did you hear me? There were not two different messages going out. There weren't two different sermons being preached. There weren't two different things that were being told by the Lord telling this one guy and then he tells somebody over here something more and so they're able to do more because they're told more. It was equal. The same thing was heard by both of them. <clears throat> but how differently they responded to what they heard. And you hear me tonight. How you respond to the word of God will determine the quality of your life and your future. You know what? Those things that Brother Kilgore asked my wife and I to do, they really weren't that, they, they weren't that big a deal, really, when you just boil it all down. What difference does it make? But the, 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 the point was in the willingness to respond to what we heard. We, were, we wanted the blessings of God on our life more than we wanted a momentary respite from traveling or whatever. We wanted God's favor on our life more than we wanted some momentary pleasure. And we responded to that word that came through our pastor. And we didn't resent that. We may have hurt for a while and we may have cried. But we got up and said, you know what? If that's going to help make me better, then I'm willing to do that because I believe that man cares for my soul. Because your hearing is what will determine your doing. Your hearing will determine your doing. You say, well, Brother Hughes, I thought you said they both heard. They did, but they didn't both hear the same. Whatever one heard, evidently one of them missed. Proper hearing implies believing and obeying. I want to tell you what I've been impressed by lately, and God has been speaking to me over and over and over, and that is an obedient life can produce blessings that outweigh the burden of the moment that that an obedient life can bring blessings on me that far outweigh whatever thing I have to deny myself of the moment but obedience is not easy because none of us are born naturally obedient you understand me that's why your kids act up that's why they need to be corrected, even in church, by the way. 
They need to pay attention. They need, the Bible says they, we need to learn how to conduct ourselves. And how, but our children, you, you weren't born naturally obedient. My mom had to beat it into me. I don't mean that literally, but I mean, she had to, there had to be some restrictions because obedience is not a natural thing. It is even said of Jesus that he learned what? Anybody know that verse? No? I'm going to give you a new verse to go home and practice. He learned obedience. How? Through the things he suffered. Through the things he had to go through. The limitations. The, the, the things that, that were put in place that said you can do this but that's not what you're, you're not going to like the outcome. And so instead of fighting against that and saying, I hate this restriction. I hate being bad. I hate this legalism. He learned to operate within the realm of that obedience. And the Bible said he had to learn that. Now, if God in flesh, if that, that, that man Christ Jesus had to wrestle with this thing called obedience, don't be surprised when you have trouble with it either. But I will tell you, obedience is better than sacrifice. And obedience, though it's not easy and it is hard work, that's the deep stuff. That's, the Bible said that he dug deep. He got beyond the surface. He dug down into the earth. He labored. He sweated over it. It wasn't something that just came naturally. He didn't just wake up in the morning and drink it with his coffee. He didn't put it in his mouth by way of a pill. He had to get up and dig. He had to work on it. He had to bring his flesh under subjection. He had to look himself in the face and say, no, you're not going to do that. No, you're not going to go there. No, you're not going to be that kind of person. He learned obedience. I, I don't know about you, but I want obedience to be a part of my life. And I believe we fail because we're not willing to be obedient. Whether, it's, whether I agree it's necessary or not, I still want to be willing to be obedient. I, I'm going to close. I've had people tell me well, many times, oh, Brother Hughes, I don't have a conviction about that. <laughs> You know what? I don't read anywhere in the Bible where the Lord says, now, if you have a conviction about this, this is what you ought to do. He said, thou shalt not. Conviction. Well, brother, I don't feel convicted about that. You know what? You need to stop worrying about feeling convicted and just do it because God said do it. We need to live humbly. We need to live holy. We need to live with love. We need to be forgiving, not because it's easier because we want to, but because he said to. Amen. Well, God bless you. I'm about through five minutes and I'm going to let you go. Jesus never said that if you feel convicted... He just said, do this if you want to succeed. Do this if you want to stand. Do this if you want to prosper. There are different outcomes to the story simply because they chose differently 
how they responded to what they heard. You know what I've discovered pastoring? It's been very humbling. I can't make anybody live for God. I can't make anybody live right. I can't even make, I couldn't even make my dog mind. <laughs> I can't make you do that. There's not enough rules that I could throw up on the board and say, okay, everybody, let's line up. We could fill this room with rules. But until you move from a rule to a relationship, you're always going to struggle with this thing about building. Is it necessary? Is it not necessary? Do I need to? Do I, can I get by without it? Do I have to? All I know that I can do is just preach you the word and then the outcome belongs to you. You can dismiss it. You can say it's not necessary. You can say it's too hard. You can say it's too legalistic. Or you can embrace it and say, I want to do whatever it takes to stand. I want to do whatever it takes to last. I want to do whatever it takes to endure. I want to do whatever it takes that when eternity comes, I'm going to like the outcome. Amen. Let's stand. This is what I've learned about God. That nobody is ever going to be able to say to God, I didn't have a chance. Are you listening to me? I'm not through yet. I didn't have a chance. Nobody is ever going to be able to say to God that life was not fair to me and blame someone else for your failure because we all have the ability to hear sometimes we don't listen but we have the ability to hear and he said he that heareth and doeth these things is like a man who dug deep and he built his house Upon the rock. You see folks. It's not what we know. But it's what we do with what we know. That determines the success or failure of our life. You know what I've learned? It's not even about being right or wrong. But it's about being submitted to an authority. That there is a voice. That can speak into my life. And whether I like it or not, I'm going to do my best to do it. Amen. Don't, don't live short-sighted. Don't, don't live life where all you see is this moment, this temptation, this pleasure. Lift your eyes enough to see that there's an outcome to all of this. Where is this going to lead me is a good question that we ought to all ask ourselves from time to time. What is this going to produce in my life? Am I going to like the outcome once it comes? I miss a lot of things about Brother Kilgore. 
But there's one thing that I do not regret and I do not look back on wishing that I could go back and change. And that was I always wanted to stay obedient to him. He's just a man, but he was my pastor. And you know what? I want that covering in my life. I guess that's why I felt so, I, I don't even know how to describe my feelings over the last few days because the first time in my life, I don't have that canopy of a pastor over my life. And I don't like it. And I don't understand how anybody could live their life without wanting a pastor in their life. That pastor's not there to hurt me. He helped me be a better man. He helped me. He challenged me. He motivated me. He pushed me. And he would not let me be satisfied with inferior building. <laughs> and he had a way of pulling me. I'm, I want to... I, I don't know if he's hearing me tonight, but I want to thank you, Brother Kilgore, for pushing me. I want to thank you for when I was satisfied, you would prod me. One of the things that I remember most about altar services around Life Tabernacle was not the altar service. It was the after altar service. And if you've ever been there, you know what I'm talking about. Altar service, just like we have here. People pray about five or ten minutes and then all of them start, you know, just kind of gets distracted and everything kind of starts falling apart. And Brother Cure had a unique way of reaching out and grabbing those that were there and pulling them back in and said, come on, church, let's press a little deeper. Let's go a little farther. Let's reach a little higher. And do you know that the greatest breakthroughs that I had in my spiritual life came in that second mile, in that thrust beyond the common, the ordinary, the average, the routine. It was when we were pulled a little deeper could I ask you tonight is it possible that what God really wants from us is for us to just go a little deeper let's go a little deeper let's just just throw the door open and say God where you lead me I will follow hallelujah amen don't don't barter the good of the future for the present pleasure. Happy is the man who sees things not in the light of the moment, but in the light of eternity. Let's go deeper. Amen. I hear the Lord saying to me tonight, I hear him saying to me, live deeper. I hear him saying to me, pray deeper. I hear him saying to me, worship me deeper. Come on. Let's go deeper. Not, let, let's not see how shallow we can live. Let's not see how little we have to do. Let's not see how cheap we can get by. Let's go deeper. Because I want the blessings of what the deep can bring to my life. <laughs> oh, hallelujah. I want to live the way 